Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. We're so glad to be able to bring a small portion of our community to you through this medium and hope that you'll join us in our endeavor to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. If you would like to know more about who we are as a community, as well as when and where we meet, you can visit us online at thegenesisstory.com. Also, if you have benefited from this podcast in any way or would like to participate in what we're doing here at Genesis, would you consider partnering with us by donating online again at www.thegenesisstory.com. There you can select the giving tab and how you would like to contribute to the general fund or even to the building fund. Remember, we can do more together than we can ever do alone. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. God bless. Good morning. Good to see you guys here this morning. Good to see you guys there online. Well, I can't really see you, but nice to know that you're there. Good morning. Um, let's get started. Let's pause and let's pray. I know that thankful the heat wave is a little bit over, although it is a little humid today. But hey, we'll take the relief. And so let's pray. Father, there are so many things that are beyond our control that can cause us fear, that can cause us anxiety. And we believe that beyond that fear, you are there to bring peace, to bring purpose. And we are pausing our lives right now to acknowledge you in the midst of Whatever is going on in our lives, Lord, we want to acknowledge that you are life and that what you give is abundance. And we desire that abundance today in the places that we are at, in the conditions we find ourselves in. May you bring your life and your abundance to us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Today we're going to finish Genesis. Now, it hasn't been covering all the exciting things. I know, like Rick wanted to hear, didn't talk about where dinosaurs came from, things like that. I told you from the beginning, this wasn't going to be that kind of journey through Genesis, that it was going to be a, a journey that tried to plant us to where the people were who this was written to, so that we could understand their point. And then from that point, lean into it to see what pulls at our hearts and our lives. And I hope that's been effective in helping us to at least understand Scripture a little bit more. We've taken a journey from Adam and Eve to Cain, Abel, and we've seen... Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. It's been this journey, and along their line, we've also seen the Cain, Ishmael, Esau, and there's even a section that is, this is the descendants of this other people who aren't going to make up the 12 tribes of Israel in chapter 25. And the purpose is laying a road for the future of the nation. There's this group of people who become 
this nation and there's these group of people who become these nations and this is the world we find ourselves in and this is the story that we are telling about that world that we live in. And chapter 36 of Genesis, verse 31, it says, these were the kings who reigned in Edom before any Israelite king reigned. The reason this is important is because, again, this is telling us when the book of Genesis was written. There were no kings at this point when the stories are being written. And so that would make no sense unless it was written after the kings, which is probably about 1000 BCE. And that helps us to, again, understand the mindset and the direction of the writings, who it was written for and where it is going. In chapter 37, starting at verse 1, we jump right into this story. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob's family line. That's another way of saying these are his descendants. This is the the tenth and final episode of the descendants. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And he brought their father a bad report about them. Okay, Joseph's got no street cred, all right? He, he's snitching on his brothers right off the bat. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age and he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Now, we have seen the tension between siblings throughout this book. We've seen the tension between the, the wives and how they have this contest of how many children they can have. And now we see this tension between Joseph and his brothers. Joseph is Jacob's favorite. And guess what? Things are not going to go well. Again, and again, and again. And again, there's a point being made in these things that I I think we need to grab hold of. Verse five, Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed to it. His brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams and what he had said. We see that a 17-year-old kid is not very wise in how he interacts with his brothers, right? Yeah, he had a dream, but really you're gonna go tell this to your brothers? You just snitched on them, gave them a bad report. You know, gotta know they're not, kind to you, and you're going to throw this in their face. And I hope sibling rivalry is ringing loud and and true in our ears, because it's been consistent. Cain, Abel, Ishmael, Isaac, Jacob, Esau, now Joseph and his brothers. Why? Why is this constantly being told? What is the point? Rivalry is going to be embedded in this nation, There are going to be 12 tribes. The 12 tribes will come together under King David and Solomon, but then they are going to split up. And there's going to be 10 tribes that go down to the south. 
And then the two tribes will hang out in the north. This is nothing more than civil war. We think of it as, oh, yeah, I don't get along with, you know, my cousin because, you know, that one time they did this to, you know, my mom and whatever. And we have this family kind of forth. This is not the same thing. This is like civil war. They contend against each other. And so they're going to split up continually and fight with each other continually. And it is their history that is pointing to their future so that after all these things take place, they can sit back and say, this is who we have been. And then the question is, what are they going to do about it? Isn't that always the question? When we find out the truth about what's happened in our life, we are confronted with what do we do now? And you see, I, I believe that the Torah was written for that purpose, was to push Israel into a place. Do you see who you were? Do you see how things went? Who are you going to be now? What will you do with the information as the story unfolds? The pen is now in your hand. What will you write next? So Joseph's brothers hate him, not just because of the cool clothes that his dad gets him, but because of his arrogance, because he, he rubs them the wrong way and he rubs his being the favorite in their faces. And one day he's gonna rule over his brothers, having dreams is one thing, but Joseph makes sure his brothers know about him. And do you think they're gonna welcome that news? No. It's 10 angry brothers against one oblivious and spoiled teenager. And then one day they see him coming from a distance and they say, here comes that dreamer, let's kill him. Now that's drastic, right? I've had some, you know, I, anyway. <laughs> Me and my brother got into it pretty good sometimes where I think we threatened death every now and then, but uh, it never came to that. But this is a point where they say, let's just get rid of him. Because if we get rid of him, it will be more for us We'll get rid of his being the favorite in dad's eyes. There's so many things that could be going on. But after some debate, Reuben intervenes and he, they say, let's just take his robe. Let's throw him in a ditch. And then here comes some passerbys on their way to Egypt and they sell their brother Joseph to them. They tear the coat up and put goat's blood on it and they bring it back to Jacob and said he was killed. And there's this journey to Egypt once again. Egypt, Egypt, Egypt. You'd think the writers are trying to make a point or something, and they are. Egypt is in their future. And then we see the blood and the deception. Think of Abel and his blood crying out from the ground. Think of Jacob and his deception. We have the repetition history repeating itself now once again. And Jacob is devastated. Of course, his favorite son from his favorite wife is dead. And little does he know that Joseph is making his way to Egypt to be sold as a slave to Potiphar. He gets into Potiphar's house and Potiphar is a, a name that actually is a position who is someone who is great next to Pharaoh. And as he is in his house, he blesses 
Potiphar's house. And it's the promise of Abraham, those who bless you will be blessed. And now we see Joseph is there in Potiphar's house, blessing his household, his household flourishes, and he becomes important in Potiphar's house so that he gives him charge over everything. But Joseph is one hot Hebrew and Potiphar's wife is like looking towards him and tries to seduce him and grabs him and says, you will lay with me. And he says, no. And he leaves and he leaves his coat. Once again, his coat is taken from him. The coat was taken from him from his brothers and used against him. This coat is taken from him and again used against him. And he just cannot get a break or can he? Because he's thrown into jail. And we've already learned that he has these dreams. He had this dream about, you know, his sheaves standing right and his brothers bowing down to him. It was even one with his father bowing to him and Jacob even got upset with him. But he's there in prison and he has a dream. And it just so happens while he's there, Pharaoh's cupbearer and baker have been incarcerated and they're in there for whatever reason. And they each have dreams that they can't understand. And it's troubling them. And dreams were an important thing to them. It was how God would explain life to them, how how the future would be told to them. Important things happened in dreams. And so Joseph interprets the cupbearer's dream and he'll be released from prison and restored to Pharaoh in good graces. And then he interprets the baker's dream and it's not so good. His head's gonna be put on a pole for bird food and he's gonna die. And both of those dreams come true. And as the cupbearer is leaving, Joseph says, remember me. And he says, I will, I'll remember you. But he does and He goes back to Pharaoh's household and he forgets about Joseph. But then Pharaoh has a dream and it's troubling him. And he, the cupbearer goes, oh man, I've erred. I know a guy back in prison who can tell dreams. And Pharaoh says, bring them to me because my magicians and all my people can't tell me what this dream is. And so they bring Joseph before Pharaoh and Pharaoh proceeds to tell Joseph his dream. And he said, there were seven fat cows, but then they were eaten by seven skinny cows and they still stayed skinny. And then there were these seven shears of wheat and they were taken by these other seven shears and they became scrawny and decrepit. And I know for us, you know, who live with, you know, movies like The Ring and Saw, this dream doesn't sound all that scary, but it freaked Pharaoh out, right? He's like, I'm troubled by this. What does it mean? I hear you interpret dreams. And then Joseph says, I don't, but there's a God who does. And we start to see a change in the attitude. From the, the way he told the dreams to his brothers at the beginning where, hey, I saw this and this is what I understand to now, I don't understand it, but God gives understanding. And so we start to see this humility that happens after these years in prison. And so he tells Pharaoh the dream that there's gonna be seven years of plenty in the land and then it's gonna be followed by seven years of famine. And Pharaoh's like, okay, what do we do? And he asks Joseph, what should we do? And Joseph says, well, you should store up while you have the plenty and save for when you have the famine. Good job, Joseph. Smart, okay. So Pharaoh says, you're gonna be in charge. And so he raises Pharaoh to be up under him in his household. Joseph, a Hebrew prisoner, 
saves Egypt from destruction. Several years later, these same Egyptians would turn on the Hebrews and enslave them. Bad form, Egypt. It's part of this story. That's the story coming up in Exodus. And while Joseph is promoted from slave to Pharaoh's right-hand man in charge of preparing for the famine, Jacob, back home, and his growing family are still in Canaan, and the famine hits them and starts to to feel the pinch. And, And so what he does is he hears, well, they have grain in Egypt. And so they send his brothers, except for Benjamin, the youngest son from Rachel, They send them all to Egypt to go and get grain. Sound familiar? How many times have we seen famine go to Egypt? Famine go to Egypt. It's a recurring theme because it's going to be their future. And there they go to Egypt to buy some grain. And as they go there, we see that the episode sets up the end of Genesis and leads to Israel's enslavement in Egypt. It mirrors Abraham's trek to Egypt back in Genesis 12. And just like in that earlier story when Sarah is a guest in Pharaoh's house, Joseph's brothers will soon find themselves in their own awkward situation in Pharaoh's house. The same scene comes up again big time in the book of Exodus where this story is again leaning into. And wouldn't you know, Joseph's brothers have to go before Joseph and ask for the supplies because he's in charge. And of course, he recognizes them. They don't recognize him. And he's thinking, what can I do? And so he sets something up. And instead of just revealing, I'm Joseph, he plays a trick on him. He accuses them on spying on him and he strikes a deal. And he says, Show me you are honest by bringing back your youngest brother of yours who you say you have, which is his actual brother, Benjamin. And I'm going to keep Simeon, your other brother, until you bring Benjamin back. And they're like, we can't do that. Dad won't go for it. Dad loves Benjamin almost as much as he loved Joseph. He's just not going to go for it. But what choice do we have? So they go back. And sure enough, Jacob is like, I can't do this. Poor Simeon. You know where you stack in the line, right? (laughs) Simeon's left there in Egypt, enslaved. They all go back, but there's no sending of Benjamin. But the famine continues, and it draws closer and closer. And finally, Jacob says, we have to go back to Egypt. And so this time we're going to send Benjamin, but we're also going to give you all these supplies to to give to them to show that we, we really want him to come back, and we, we want Simeon too, but they go back, and again, they're before Joseph, and Joseph says, okay, great, and has them all sitting down, and he feeds them all lavishly, but Benjamin, he gives five times as much, and they're like, what's this, right? Why is he paying favorites to him, just like dad pays favorites to him? And so they're heading back with their grain, but again, trickster Joseph puts some silver in Benjamin's bag and they go heading back and they come after and they go, you've stolen something. Remember, just like Rachel was accused of taking the idols, now Benjamin is being accused of taking something from them and they find the silver cup and the brothers are like, oh man, Dad's, dad will die. If you take Benjamin, it will kill him. And finally, Joseph 
breaks down. He says, brothers, it's me. Now, why did he do this? I don't know. But you can play with it and think, right? Because they kind of deserve it, you know? I mean, they were going to kill him and end up selling him in slavery. But it finally comes to this place where Joseph bends down. And because of Joseph, Israel is saved. If you change a few words, the Israelites could be saying the same thing after the Exodus and especially after the return from Babylon, after their exile. God preserved us. It says a remnant. In the book of Ezra, Isaiah, and Jeremiah, you look closely at that word remnant and it's always tied to the exile. And so as Joseph says, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good so there would be a remnant. It is a reminder that they are still here even after something similar is going to happen to them. And with great joy, Joseph sends his brothers back and Pharaoh himself invites Joseph and his entire family to join him in Egypt and he gives them the land of Goshen, the best of the land on the outskirts of Egypt. The brothers arrive back in Canaan, give Jacob the good news. He's stunned, he's overjoyed. All the people of Israel migrate to Egypt and this is where they remained as the story of Genesis ends. And they do quite well for themselves. They prosper And more importantly, they grow in number and strength, which is the promise that they were supposed to have with Abraham. And after all we've seen, these Israelites, one misstep after another, God is still with them, blessing them, increasing their number, keeping with the ancient commands from Genesis 1 to multiply and be fruitful. And as the book comes to a close, we see Jacob growing old and near death. And as his last act as the patriarch, he blesses each of his sons and grandsons, beginning with Joseph's two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. And he insists, though, on blessing Ephraim, the younger one, above the elder again. And Joseph says, no, you've got it wrong, dad. And he goes, no, this is the way it's going to be. And again, all these things are playing out. The scene is more than an extended goodbye. It's a glimpse of Israel's future. Ephraim will be one of the names of the powerful northern kingdoms of Israel after the monarchy divides into the north and the south. And his son Judah over all his brothers in the southern kingdom. He receives a specially exalted place in Jacob's blessing. Why? Because it's from Judah that King David will come. And so it's signaling the political prominence of these tribes in their future. And then the book ends with the death of Jacob, the death of Joseph, and with Israel in its infancy, right? And it's going to move forward to some difficult times, a a difficult period of growth, a transition for the people that's not going to be easy. It's going to include enslavement. It's going to include exile. There's a lot of hard days ahead. And, And Israel's 
ancient story that we've been reading is one of struggle with God and with others. And it's also the story of Israel's faith in God through the struggles that God will come through for them no matter what. Genesis is Israel's story to show that God perseveres and is faithful. And then it just stops. The book just ends. It doesn't tie everything up. It doesn't say, this is what it was about and this is what happened. It just kind of stops. And it's believed that Genesis was actually written after Exodus to try and lead into the book of Exodus. And so the purpose wasn't to end and wasn't to be a book. Remember, it's a series of five books. I'm going through The Lord of the Rings right now and I I just finished the second book the two towers, and it ends with this, you know, just like, what's going to happen? Well, you don't know until you get to the next book. And that's how Genesis is. It's like, you don't know what's going to happen. Well, you find out in Exodus. And then the rest of the books tell these things. It's meant to tease us into reading how the story of this large and getting larger tribe and family pans out with their struggle with God, the highs, the lows, the the peaks, the valleys. The story finds Israel in exile in Babylon coming back and it's supposed to fuel their vision for their future. You know, they've they've done a, a study that find out what makes children succeed in school. And what does it take for a person to do well in life? And more importantly than their social place, more importantly than their looks, more importantly than even their knowledge or or smarts is what they call their grit. Those who persevere tend to succeed. Perseverance is connected to the nation of Israel. And Paul later would say, don't grow weary in doing well. Perseverance, it's got to be part of our identity. Looking back on this book, the thing that stands out to me the most is the the perseverance of all the things that happen and they're continuing on, even in trusting God in what ways they can. I feel like perseverance has been just the toughest thing the last few years. I mean, just with all the things that have happened with the pandemic, with, you know, our uh, civil unrest, with our elections, all the, the terrible things going on, persevering and maintaining this idea of how to have hope and continue in the future is important. And you just get beat up and you get beat up. I mean, I've had two surgeries, a broken hand in, in the last year of my life, right? And I'm like, okay, enough. And I, I, there's times where I, I really do. I just like, I don't really want to do this anymore. Just about everything. <laughs> do what? Just everything. I, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm just tired. I feel beat up. I feel like I, I've been exiled. 
And here's a story saying, yeah, it's part of your history. But look at, do you remember when you had four children and lost your job? Do you remember how you felt then? Do you remember those times that seemed like there was no hope? And here you are. So this book has taught me perseverance. And, and I believe that is the point of this story to the nation is look what you've been through. Look what you're going through. You'll get through it. And so I, I hope it's an encouragement to us in this way to see that there is a faithfulness that we don't understand. And it, it sure doesn't look good for Joseph through some of this time, but he makes it. And I think we need to hear that sometimes. I know I do. Let's pray. Lord, it's so interesting how ancient stories have current meaning. How things that were written long ago for a people far distant from us, still resonate the, the need of humanity in our core. And I pray, Lord, that we would be able to embrace those things that help us to persevere, help us to have faith. And even if it's a mysterious faith, even if it's a, an obscure faith, even if it's a faith that's filled with question. May we not give up. May we remember you are faithful. Whatever that looks like, may we lean into it. And I don't usually do this, but I, I know there are people, I've heard from people this week who've just been going through a lot of things and have questioned their future and hope has been difficult to find. And I hope that through these stories and, and through this book, you will see that there is hope that is there, that there has been hope there for centuries that continues and will continue. Though you might find yourself in a wilderness, though you might find yourself in some kind of prison, though you might find yourself in a place that is beating you up, may you understand that there is still a future where God is pulling us to. And may you persevere to that future. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. May you find hope through your perseverance. May perseverance lead you to the peace that God holds. God bless you guys. Have a great rest of the week. It's going to be cooler, thankfully. And guys, you here? Love to hear some thoughts and what we shared today. All right. God bless you guys. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. 
You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.